guys. Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm excited that you're joining me for this episode today. This is track session number two from TCM International featuring David Rokup. He's been talking to us about Jesus' method of discipleship and how it actually works. David was wondering why nothing was working when he was ministering to the youth at his church, but when he began discipling them as Jesus did his own disciples, something magical started happening. They started opening up and discipleship started really transforming their lives. He does a great job explaining what it looks like to disciple someone even while you're just riding in a car. This was a great episode. I found it very practical and very helpful, and I hope that you will do the same. All right, let's jump in and hear from David Brokup from TCM International. Here we go. All right, well, why don't we go ahead and, and just to get started here. I mentioned to uh, a few people who were here yesterday about my uh, original foray into the idea of discipling. Let me give you just a little, little background on this. Uh, I was in youth ministry for seven years full-time, and um, uh, I did with our junior high and high school students what I saw. There weren't, weren't any classes in any school to go to. You just kind of saw, watch what other people were doing. So I was just doing what everybody else was doing, having Bible studies, having parties, you know, taking trips, doing retreats. And the great issue that I struggled with was when the kids were at church or on a retreat, they loved it. You know, they had a great time and we connected with them. But the problem was when they went back to school on Monday morning, you know, it just all fell apart and they melded right into the culture. And, uh, and I'd get reports from people about things. And, and so I really just began praying about it and saying, God, here's the bottom line. I know that my ministry is not transforming the lives of these kids. It's pretty obvious. But the situation is, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make that happen. You know, I'm praying for them. Uh, we're having tons of parties. You know, we're studying the Bible. W what's wrong here? And y'all, I didn't hear anything for about 10 years. I mean, I just, uh, just kept working, kept figuring things out. Two friends of mine from California called me. We're all working this together. They called me and they said, hey, we, we found it. We got it. We found out what will facilitate transformation of life in the lives of the people in your church. And I said, great, what is it? And they said, well, it's something we've never heard of it, but it's called discipling. And we're going to send you a couple of books and a couple of tapes, and we want you to listen to this and then start doing it. I was teaching at that point at Ozark Christian College. And uh, so they, they sent me all of the information. I listened to it. I thought it was really novel, novel idea, you know. <laughs> what did Jesus do? And how, you know, and, and well, that's a great method for sure. And so they came to a convention that I was leading uh, several months later, and they said, how, how, how'd you like those books? And I said, you know, actually, it was really good material. I mean, I thought it was really not just a novel idea to kind of do Jesus' ministry. I said, of course, it's not, it's not my style, but I think, it's, I think it's a great idea. And they said, wait, wait, wait a minute. And they said, here is Jesus Christ, the... Uh, one who is omniscient, knowing everything that will ever be known, comes to earth, and out of all of the educational philosophies known to man, you know, he picks this one and uses it, and it's incredibly effective. But you're telling us that that's not your style. Is that what you said? And I said, well, no. I said, I didn't actually say that. And they said, yes, you did. We, we just heard you. You said it, you know. So um, that next fall, I chose six seniors at Ozark and uh, just lined it all out, had it all set, and we started meeting. And there was dissonance in the group. 
something that wasn't right uh, the whole first semester. And about the middle of February, I got a telephone call from the dorm dad. And two of the guys in my group had gotten in a fist fight. And one, one they had to take to the emergency room. So and he, he, I just remember he said to me, um, this discipling thing you're doing on campus, it's really working well, isn't it? You know? And I said, uh, I, I wanted to say, shut up, but I didn't. You know? <laughs> I said, well, we're experimenting. We're trying to figure this out. You know? And uh, so I called the two guys in California. And I said, hey, let me tell you about this wonderful experience that I, I'm having here. And after that event, the group just fell apart. It, it, and, and we just kind of quit a couple of months early you know, and so forth. So they said, hey, that's okay. That's just a bump in the road. Next fall, I'll get another group and start all over again. So I chose six new guys. The uh, previous group had all graduated. Chose six guys. We started meeting. And uh, at the end of nine months, you all, I will tell you that what I had dreamed about and thought about and knew needed to happen um, had taken place in the lives of those guys at a very significant level. You know, we're getting their attention about their heart and their interior world, getting them into the Word of God coaching them in their prayer lives, uh, and I just began to really see this amazing, amazing change, and uh, I was such a rookie, you know, one really bad year, good year under my belt, but I will tell you, uh, and that, after that first year, I said to myself, first good year, I said to myself, you know, I, this is going to be my ministry philosophy for the rest of my career. You know, I'll do a lot of other things, but one of the things I will do is always have a group of guys in my life, and the wonderful thing about this is that my wife totally understands what we're doing and is, is fully behind it, you know, and just cheers me on. And uh, we have people to the house, have the group to the house all the time. Christmas, we have a great big blowout and guys bring their wives. And, uh, you know, and she's, she's very supportive, very encouraging, which is one of the big keys in having done this. Uh, I did a doctoral program at uh, Trinity up in Chicago and um, had to do my project in the midst of working two pretty much full-time jobs and um, took three years off and did not have a group during that time. I, I just could not add one more thing. Um, and somebody called me a couple of years ago and said, do you have a number of guys, the number that you've discipled over the last 45 years? And I said, well, I've kind of kept a list of names, yeah. And as of this year, as of two weeks ago, it's like 426 guys you know, that I've personally met with for a minimum of a year coaching them, loving them, praying for them. And uh, I feel like I've done very little to really make a difference in their lives. I just, uh, I just get them into the Word of God on a daily basis. And I pray every single morning for them and say, God, would you please just take your Word today, you know, which is so much, so much more powerful than anything we can do. Just take your Word and really deal with their hearts and teach them and stretch them and convict them you know, and challenge them and their wives and their children, and just lift them up in prayer. And I will tell you that the Lord answers that prayer every single year. You know, it just comes together. And um, I've got seven guys again this year. That's one that more than I normally have. And uh, they're um, just uh, really, we've just met twice now, just started meeting. And they, they're just a wild and crazy group. I, I have the, the husband of a Chick-fil-A, you know, the person who um, manages uh, there's a name for them, a proprietor, something like the operator. Yeah, got his, uh, her husband in our group. And two investment, investment, two guys who own their own investment firms. And, uh, you know, you have policemen, you know, uh, people in the Army. Um, uh, worked with a guy. He owns the largest Ford dealership in Cincinnati, you know, in there. And um, 
just all kinds of guys, bricklayers, I mean, everything in between. And it's just amazing to see the, the power of, of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and your prayers, specifically asking for the lives of these men or these women. I will tell you that, that God absolutely will, will respond to your prayers. He really will. We start meeting in September. We go all the way through until I have to leave for House Edelweiss, end of May, uh, normally. And so we go for about nine, nine and a half months. And um, I um, uh, uh, vividly remember asking the Lord, you know, to move in guys' hearts. We uh, always come to February and March. You know, when it gets, uh, uh, when it, it's dark in the morning at 5.30 when you get up for your meeting and uh, it's drizzling out, uh, kind of just on, on, just on the verge of freezing, you know, and it's 5.30 and you're leaving the house. And um, I remember two years ago, I had a r- really unique group. I had like four guys who were up in their 50s and 60s and two 25-year-olds. It's amazing how it all turned out. And um, I'm driving to uh, the meeting and it's drizzling, and it's cold, and I'm exhausted, and, you know, I just remember saying, God, you know, I've been meeting with these guys for like six months now. I mean, I mean, is, is anything we're doing, is this really making a difference, you know? I mean, I can't spend enough time with them to really, uh, I hear things, and they talk to me and all, but, but I mean, is, is anything really, really happening here? So I got to the meeting, and we started, and I chose the two youngest guys to just lead us in opening prayer that day. And uh, they both prayed, you know, not, not, not making this up. They both prayed and said, God, um, we want to thank you for this group and the amazing way our lives are changing, you know, like never before because of being in this group, you know. And, uh, you know, that, that, that'll turn a Monday into a Friday, you know. <laughs> so I left the group then when we were done driving home. <laughs> and we talked about this a little bit yesterday. You know, how do you hear the Lord speaking to you? I, I have Pentecostal friends, you know, who, who speak, say the Lord speaks to them regularly, and I, I give them all the freedom in the world to have that experience. I, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I will tell you that God speaks into my heart all the time. And so I'm driving home, and uh, the Lord just spoke into my heart and said, Dave, I, I want to just say something to you here. Do you, you remember the prayer that you prayed when you were driving here today about whether this was making a difference in anybody's life? And I said, uh, uh, what, what prayer, Lord? I, don't I said, yes, sir, I, I remember the prayer. And he said, I just want to make this really pungent in your mind. When you ask me to take my word and build it into people's lives, don't ever question whether I'm doing what you're asking me to do. Don't, don't ever question that. Because when you ask, I'm there and I'm doing it. So, so just keep moving forward, you know, and... Uh, so that was kind of one of those uh, significant moments, you know, that you remember, kind of keep in mind. <clears throat> you know, I will just tell you the results are just phenomenal of the things we're talking about here. Just the idea that um, a woman comes up to me at church two years ago, and she said, uh, you know, of course, my husband is in your D group. And I said, yeah, I know. And she said, I, I just want, wanted to tell you this after thinking about it last week. We've, we've been married 22 years. He, he's, he's always been a good guy. He's a Christian, always has been. But, uh, but I have led our family spiritually for 22 years. I've, I've been the spiritual head of our home, and he would never step up. And she said, about three months into your group, all of a sudden, he began suggesting we pray before the girls go to bed at night. And he was the one going in and getting the girls up on Sunday morning, saying, get up, let's have breakfast, come on, we're going to go to Sunday school. 
And uh, she said, for the first time in 22 years, God has answered our prayer. And now he, he is the spiritual head of our home. And she said that uh, I just never thought I would really see it happen. You know, and, you know, and I could just tell you 20 of those stories of how God will work through this process to really bring transformation of life, spiritual life, to the people that, uh, that you work with. Um, just a real quick word, and then I want to start on the outline. A lot of times we say to ourselves, what, what is the ultimate goal of the church? And we say, well, a lot of baptisms in a year, uh, that would be good, and that would be good, you know. Or someone says, good offerings, keeping the church afloat financially, that, that, that's good for sure, uh, involving people. All of those are great things we want to see in the life of the church. But if you scour through Scripture and look at what Jesus said, Paul, Peter, James, this is really the ultimate goal of our ministries. The ultimate goal is to see the people in our seats on Sunday morning really transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So that when they're at work and socializing and <clears throat> going to the PTA meetings, whatever they're doing, um, uh, Jesus Christ is really evident in their lives because their heart has been radically baptized and transformed into the image of Christ. You know, and that's the ultimate goal. Truly, we have um, um, uh, uh, we were 2,200, 2,400 pre-COVID at the church where I attend. We're back up to a strong 1,700 now, so we're making making progress. But the staff asked me to do an analysis of our, of our church about how many people were involved, how many weren't. And I just ran some numbers, and we have 800 people uh, pre-COVID who did one thing other than attend on Sunday morning, which means that there are 1,600 of our people who come for one hour and, and, and one hour a week, and that's all they do. Now, I will tell you, they're, they're good people, you know. They're great people, but uh, there were so many telltale signs in our church that we have a lot of people who are just so massively spiritually immature, you know, uh, who get get knocked off their horse over and over again through temptation, make really bad decisions. And uh, so our ultimate goal relates to this. My question is this, are the people under my spiritual guidance really experiencing significant transformation of life in Jesus Christ? I mean, I think that has to be the, the water line there that we really focus on and we really think about. So how do we bring that about in their lives? Well, what we have in the outline here is, is just distilling down, you know, uh, Jesus' method and how we can do it ourselves. We want to talk about what he did, and we want to talk about how we do what he did then in the American culture in this particular time. I thought we'd start out with a, a definition of discipling. And remember, this is a primer class. This is going down to 101, getting all the basics lined up and so forth. Uh, my, doctor, my doctoral paper was um, uh, on discipling and mentoring. And in my research, I found 24 definitions of discipling, you know. And uh, this is the best one I found. And that, that's why it's here in the outline. This is from Alan Hadidian's book, Successful Discipling. He was with John MacArthur for years out in Panorama City, California, as an associate. Uh, he wrote and said, Discipling others is the process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself or herself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been one to Christ, the purpose being two, two purposes, the purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity, and secondly, equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. So two main, two main objectives. Now, just taking a look at this, I want, I want you to circle a couple of words in your outline here. The first word is process, <laughs> because this is a process. There is no add water, mix and bake formula to this thing. When you get, when you get, when you get six women in your group, you know, um, there are some who are, who are 
really veteran Christians loving Christ, you know, just have the roots so deep, and there are others who are just baptized, and it's everything in between, and trying to figure out where, where they are, what they will respond to, how to work with each one of them. Um, I just talk about the fact, you know, of course, what a microwave is, and you know what a crock pot is, okay? Okay, it's impossible to microwave spiritual growth in a person's life. It is a crock-pot experience, I will tell you. One thing about discipling people is it just takes time. Time is one of the most significant elements. And, and what I found is the more time I can spend with people, with men, the more they grow. It's really true. The more time I get with them, uh, the more they respond and the more they, uh, they, they tune into what we're doing. So it's definitely a process by a Christian with a life worth emulating. What, 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 what does that mean? You know? I mean, you have to have you know, a Bible college degree and 10 years in ministry and so forth. Um, in a church that I'm, I'm working with, very familiar with, um, they take their senior high kids and they assign them, it's four, four, stu- four women, four men, uh, to a leader. And the leader stays with them for three years in their youth ministry program. The fourth year, the seniors who, who, who are ready to go take groups of junior high kids or freshman kids. And you say, oh, okay, now, I mean, how well does that work? You know? Well, I'll tell you what, here's the star quarterback of the varsity football team inviting four freshman guys to meet with him for a Bible study every week. I, I will tell you, you know, it can really be very effective. My grandson, my youngest grandson, went through this at the church where they attend, and it was powerful in his life. I mean, it really made a huge difference. So everything from, from that to a wizened veteran, you know, who has been in ministry for years, I mean, I mean it's everything. I think the issue is, I don't think that there can be huge um, sins in a person's life. I mean, I mean, if someone is really horrible to their wife or uh, struggling with porn, obviously they should not be leading a group, no, no doubt about it. You know, but, uh, but for many, many, they're very capable and, and um, it works very well. So, uh, so someone who can really say, I have feet of clay, trust me, but, uh, but, uh, but as, as much as I can, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, follow me, it, it's okay. So uh, commits himself or herself. The one thing I would mention to you is simply this, that this, is, this takes a commitment. You know, you commit to this, you make up your mind, and uh, when you're into your fifth and sixth month and you're fatigued and, um, uh, and the struggle is there, you know, just, just hang in there and keep moving forward. You know, keep doing exactly what we're going to talk about, and, and there will be fruit in the end, too. For an extended period of time, this is really also very nebulous. You, uh, I have six men. At the end of one year, three of these guys are fully capable of leading their own groups. You know, the other three, honestly, they need another year at least, you know, maybe even two years. About, in terms of time, when you think about it, Jesus uh, met with his disciples for three and a half years. Three years for sure, you know. So when I say, well, I'd like to meet with a group of guys after a year and release them, if they're ready to lead groups, yes, by all means, you know, for sure. Some people may need another year, for sure. I'm finding in my experience, though, after two years, in the main, m- most guys, if you work with them, are, are really pretty ready. Most women are pretty ready to go ahead and lead. You know, I have a session later on today on how to help the people you disciple disciple others. And, and th- this is the big issue. This is the big hump, big pothole in the road we've struggled with. And uh, in the church where I attend, this is our fourth year of a formal, identifiable men's and women's discipling effort. And we're re- turning it into a research project and keeping stats and using 
measuring instruments. And I will tell you, we, we found something. We found, I think, the, the secret sauce to get lay people who are married with kids really, and who are really busy to lead, lead a D group. We, we found it. So if you want to know what it is, you have to come, have to come this afternoon. Uh, or, or a $10 bill would get you the, the exact, you know, for sure. So extended period of time. I wish I could just say, yeah, just meet with your group this long. And, and you know, but it's just indivi so individual with each person that you work with. Few individuals. There's a lot of uh, question about how many people do you invite into your D group? Uh, how many? Of course, you know, it's men with men, women with women. When you, when you mix, uh, mix uh, uh, the sexes there, like uh, uh, married couples, home Bible study group, you know, that, that's a very positive thing to have a huge small group ministry in your church because we found that that becomes the feeding ground for people getting into your discipling groups. So it's very important. Some people say, well, let's just cancel our small groups then if we're going to do discipling groups. No, quite the opposite. You know, build that small group uh, ministry more than, more than ever before. Um, so how many do you have in a group? Uh, a man that I really love and admire a great deal, uh, Doug... Um, Greg Ogden, who I think may be in the room right next door to us here. You know, he really believes in what he calls triads, which is three guys and a leader, three girls and a leader. And I will tell you that that's very fruitful. You know, my thinking is I didn't know about that, you know, 40 years ago, and I just have always done six. And, uh, and I don't think I could handle 10, you know, but, but six is a very comfortable number in terms of somebody missing on occasion, maybe because they have to work or whatever. Uh, and, and Doug says through four, and uh, I would just go ahead and try it on your own and see what works for you. You know, if you're starting out, you may want to start out with you and four others or three others, just kind of get a feel for things. If you want to bump that up a couple of numbers, why uh, it, it's whatever you feel is best. And if, you, if you say to me, okay, we're going to nail you down, how many? I, I'd say four and a leader is what I would say. To, to begin for and a leader. <clears throat> These have been one to Christ. Of course, you want to start with people who are the farthest along, if you possibly can, and the two goals, to help them grow spiritually and also to help them understand that their number one thing here is that once they're discipled, they will disciple other people, you know, for sure. So kind of a good, good definition of what, what it actually is. Uh, let me mention, a man, a man says to me, I have four men. We meet every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock for an hour and a half, and we study the Bible together and uh, a men's Bible study. How is that? And I say, that, that, that's great. I mean, so, you know, don't stop doing that. Uh, I'd like to mention that that actually is not a discipling group. You know, it's a very good thing. It's a very, in terms of, it's a men's Bible study. Very, very healthy. Um, a discipling group involves many other elements than, than just being together in a meeting and studying. And that's where one of the great um, rubs comes in terms of getting time from people <clears throat> to do the other things that you need to do, you know, because the, the currency of today, as you know, is time. You know, you, you know, we can get money from people a whole lot, whole lot easier than we can get their time. Um, so, so just kind of a distinction there in light of our, uh, of our um, definition. Uh, the word disciple, and again, I'm sure you've seen this, it's old hat to you, but let me just mention the word mathetes is the Greek word for disciple, and literally just means learner or follower. It's not necessarily a religious word, you know, 2,000 years ago, but we have hijacked it pretty much. In terms, of, uh, in terms of the church. Uh, Michael Wilkins has got a definition here as well. Uh, number three, this is uh, under letter B. This is a real significant point. Uh, a lexical definition, meaning going back to the original Greek word and analyzing it 
from the Egyptians forward, Egyptians, Greeks, Babylonians, Rome, and so forth, uh, always implies the existence of a personal attachment which shapes the whole life of the one described as Mathetes, and which in its particularity leaves no doubt as to who is deploying the formative power. So, you know, somebody says, can you, can you disciple on Zoom? You know, um, I, I, I think you can do a lot of good on Zoom. You know, if, you, if, if it's Zoom or nothing, then do Zoom. But I will tell you, you know, that the, the life on life, face to face, you know, uh, talking, praying, traveling together, uh, that th- that is really the key, and so there does become then an emotional attachment. <clears throat> Just this real quick thing: good leaders know how to create culture. So from the very first meeting that I have with my my group, uh, I just mirror a culture of love, and warmth, and caring, and uh, ask for a very high level of accountability uh, in our group. You know, we meet every week, other than Thanksgiving and a couple of weeks at Christmas, for nine nine or ten months. And, um, and uh, you're making a commitment that you will be there every single Tuesday morning unless you are sick, working out of town, or have a personal emergency, you know, high level. So, so one guy said to me, you know, it, it sounds a little legalistic to me, you know, like you're saying, and we have to read a, a chapter of Scripture every day for 10 months. There's a spirit of legalism in there to me. And I said, oh, no, no, brother, no. No, it's far beyond legalism. You know, this is called boot camp, you know. <laughs> you know, yes, I mean, uh, I mean, we are asking for maybe more than the church has ever asked for you. And, and many people can't do it. It's okay. You know, your salvation does not depend on being in a group. But if you're in, then you're in. And if you, if you can't handle this, we'll pick you up next year. It's really okay. I had a guy in Atlanta uh, say to me, in, in my group, say to me, maybe four months into the group, he said to me, um, you know what really drew me into this group? It was the raising of the bar higher than it had ever been raised in my life in terms of the church. And he said, I've been in the church 32 years. He said, he said no one has hardly ever asked anything of me other than to come and give money. And that, that's all they've asked for. And I was just intrigued that you're putting some starch into this thing. And, uh, and I wanted to get in and see what was, was going to happen. You know? So don't be afraid, I think, to, to go there for sure. I put in here a little bit of a historical overview. Many times people think, you know, wow, Jesus came and started this amazing approach called discipling to train his disciples. Actually, the approach that Jesus used is hundreds, uh, predates Jesus by hundreds of years. We know that Aristotle for sure, um, uh, used this approach, very much so, uh, if you just look, look at the record. Uh, Socrates taught mainly uh, by this, uh, uh, Plato as well, other famous names from history, um, Isocrates, Zeno, Cleanthes, um, all of these men uh, uh, subscribe to the idea of choosing a specific group of people, closing that group, you know, it's a group of specific six, eight, ten, however many men and women, and just and working with them until they're ready to go ahead and move on. Uh, uh, Plato had about ten men move into his house. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? They just moved in. I guess they had extra bedrooms or a, a place they could all sleep. <clears throat> and that went really, really well and, uh, for about four months, according to the record. And Mrs. Plato finally said, you know what? Uh, I'm, all, I'm all behind you, but this is not working. So, so he actually built a house right next to his. 
and that's where his disciples lived. A very interesting, interesting point. Um, so uh, somebody, somebody says, is the idea of discipling, is it an inspired idea? Well, I, I think it is in terms of its outcomes, but I don't think we can attribute it to Jesus saying, yes, it's inspired because Jesus Jesus started this because it, you know, it's really hundreds of years before. It's just that Jesus chose the absolute best, most effective means of education and transformation of life. He was just, he just chose the very best thing that was out there, basically, and, uh, and, and got off there. Here's an interesting point here also. Um, the disciplines of dancing, wrestling, music, astronomy, writing, hunting, uh, medicine, all of these things were all taught in the Greek and Roman period through the very thing we want to talk about. You know, so it was not only religion, so to speak, it was the arts. And today, of course, you know, we have uh, to become an electrician. Isn't there a year and a half journeyman time? You know, if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a mason, bricklayer, you know, there's a time, and, and we still do it today. Uh, I went to the doctor six months ago. He said, I've got a student from the University of Cincinnati here. Do you mind if they just sit in? And he talked to me. And I talked to him, and then he talked to the student and said, now, when the patient comes in and tells you that, you know, and I, I sat there and watched him, you know, training this guy one-on-one, and I said, there you go, the most effective means, you know, for sure. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world, how to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials. It's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. Uh, Here's another interesting fact. When the Greek warrior Odysseus went off to fight in the Trojan War, he had a young son. He left this son Telemachus in the care of a trusted guardian named Mentor. Odysseus was gone 20 years, and when he returned, he found his son had grown to be a man thanks to the wise tutelage of Mentor's influence. So we know where the word mentoring uh, comes from here for sure. In the New Testament period, Quick overview, Jesus and the 12 disciples. We know that John the Baptist had disciples from a couple of places in Scripture. The Pharisees, the rabbis of the day, did exactly what Jesus was doing with the 12. Very same thing. Paul, we know the disciples of Paul. History records the disciples of the disciples. You know, uh, John, Peter, uh, we have names of the men they discipled and trained also. So it, of course, goes all the way back. Now, what we want to do then is take the rest of our time here and just talk about what did Jesus do with the 12 
a quick overview and how can we do that in the American culture? That's the thing we really need to talk about. How do we do it given our jobs, our families, uh, wives, husbands, children, various things? And that's under Jesus' method of making disciples. That's what that whole paragraph is about. You know, that Jesus simply chose the very best way of training and developing people and use that. So down at the, at the bottom of the page there, I think, um, what did Jesus do? Let's talk about that, and then how do we do that as well? So we begin with selection. Number one, just using Coleman's, Coleman's uh, verbiage here, selection. <clears throat> Jesus is really led to choose his men and start working with them when a very significant thing happens, uh, according to the book of Luke. He is in a synagogue on the Sabbath. Uh, the Pharisees are there trying to catch him in anything they can catch him doing. And there's a man there with a withered hand, and, um, and Jesus Ask the man to come forward, and the guy comes up, his hand is withered, and uh, Jesus says, well, let me ask, is it, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath or not? And it says they, they wouldn't say a word. And so he said, uh, stick out your hand, and the guy stuck his hand out, and he was healed. And he, he humiliated the Pharisees and scribes who were there in front of everybody who was in the church, humiliated them. Uh, Luke immediately goes on and tells us that the religious leaders in verse 11 were filled with rage. Over that, they were so angry. And here's the word, aviois is the word. And the word is not, does not mean I got angry. It means uncontrollable rage. I mean, they were so angry at him, you know, embarrassing them in front of the whole crowd. And most commentators say when Jesus saw that and saw their response, the very next thing he did was put together his group of disciples. You know, because for maybe the first time, he really sees what's, what's ahead for him, and he, he needed to get started. So interestingly enough, the very next thing he did was he went up onto a mountain, spent all night in prayer, all night, prayed all night long, and then came down the next morning, and first thing he did was choose the 12 disciples. So, you know, the fact that Jesus prayed extensively about who to choose the people he was going to choose, brothers and sisters, that's a significant thing for us. Uh, I, ch I choose my group in August. I invite them in August. We start later in September. And I start praying in April and May. And I pray and say, God, give me six men who have three qualifications. They are hungry, they are teachable, and they're available. Hungry, teachable, available. Send me six men. And yes, fat, fat Christians, faithful, available, teachable. Yeah, um, uh, he sends me six men every year. And um, for the last two years, I've, I've, I've invited a couple of guys. They've said no. And I've invited others who said yes. And then the guys who said no came back and said, hey, uh, can I still get into that group? So I, I, I try to ha have six. Uh, the last two years, I have seven in myself. So we have a group of eight, uh, which is maybe just a tad larger, but it really it works out fine. So, so we know that Jesus prayed all night, chose the 12, and then, then, uh, then uh, moved on. <clears throat> so our, our key for us then is that we pray and ask God to show us who he wants us to bring, who he wants to bring into the group, and uh, we look for people who really are. Uh, I, I want to give you this tip also. If you really start doing this you know, with men or with women, <clears throat> I ask probably 14, 14 or 15 different people, and I get a group of six. You know, they're, they're just some men or some women. Uh, you're asking for a lot. You're asking for a weekly meeting for an hour and a half. In uh, the plan that I use, uh, the guys that I work with read one chapter of Scripture a day, and they have a notebook that I give them with forms in it to fill out. They read one chapter of Scripture a day, in some cases two, if they're 
chapters are short. They read two. <clears throat> and then when we meet, they have read seven chapters. We meet once a week. And their job is to report on two of the chapters, their comments on two of the chapters out of the seven they read. So, so I, I am not doing a lot of heavy Bible teaching. It's t- teaching one another. And every man gives a report on what, what he has uh, done, what he got from those chapters and so forth. And the discussion is just incredible, you know. It's so rich, a lot of laughter, you know, uh, just uh, some really solemn moments where the Holy Spirit comes in and just wham, you know, lays, lays a big one right on all of us. Uh, that, that's the power of the Word of God. Uh, that's exactly what you're experiencing there. So uh, I, I invite, say, 14 guys. Most of them say no. It's just because you're really asking for a serious commitment, and there are a lot of people. I uh, uh, talked to my chiropractor about joining our group. And he said, Dave, I, I love you. I love the church. I'm really willing to do this. He said, right now, I'm ex- ex- expanding my practice to another location. Um, we just bought 40 acres of land. I've got a new house and two new barns going up. And we just had, we just had a new baby two weeks ago. And I said, you know what? Why don't we wait till next year <laughs> or, or two years from now or whatever? So, and so people will say no. And, and don't take it personally. Keep them on the list for next year. Keep them on the list and circle back around a year later and see if you can, see if you can pick them up. Okay? So that's kind of the idea of, uh, of selection, looking for people who will really make a commitment. And uh, I have a um, covenant, and I just give them a copy. I meet with them ahead and give them a copy of the covenant and ask them to read this, take it home, give it to their wives, and, re- and have them read it and pray about it for three or four days. Guys saying, I, no, I, don't need to do, I don't need to do that. Uh, yes, I'm in the group. And I say to them, you know, before, before you do that, I would like for your wife to see this. And, and I want you just to really think about this commitment because it is. It's nine and a half or so months. And then call me in, or I'll call you in a couple of days and, and confirm. Uh, so give them some time to really think about that. The second thing that Jesus did, this is simply called association. This is just spending formal or informal time with, with the people that you, you have in your group. Uh, this is what Jesus did. They walked hundreds of miles in the three and a half years they were together. They camped out. You know, they stayed together in, in Mary and Martha's home. You know, they just spent tons and tons of time together. The d- disciples watched Jesus. You know, they uh, participated in his ministry. Just great times of association being together. And again, you all, I would tell you, the more time, honestly, that I spend with the God, the, a person, the more he grows or she grows in, in, in the case of our ladies here. So this is association, uh, what Jesus did. Howard Hendricks always used to say, you impress people from a distance, you impact them up close. And boy, it's just so true, uh, that, that close time. So you build a relationship with them, and the relationship comes down to love and care and concern that you share, building the culture of your group. Trust begins to grow. You want to have a, a transparent group, very important, and be careful with that, you know, go slow. And little by little, let the line out. You know, one of the guys in our second meeting last Tuesday morning said, uh, you guys, I'm really struggling with um, my father, and I'm so angry at him, and he has been, he's been horrid, you know. And now he's, in, he's fallen into ill health, and he, I'm the one who lives the closest to him. And what, what, I don't, I just, I'm not sure how to handle this, you know. And boy, it was wonderful. Just you know, guys spoke into his life and encouraged him sounded like the words of Jesus, what they were saying to him to do the right thing. And, uh, and so just let, let that normally 
normally become part of your group. And I will tell you this, the level of transparency that you display is what, what the group will do. Yeah, if you don't open up at all, keep your cards really close to your vest, that's what they'll do. You know, uh, If you kind of slowly open up, let people get to know you, share some deeper things out of your heart and life, little by little, uh, it'll create a really wonderful, transparent culture. And in the uh, covenant, why, there is a note in there about uh, confidentiality. You know, if we if somebody says, I really don't want anybody outside our group to know about this, then we, we agree we will not even tell our wives, you know, just between us. So a guy took his covenant home last week, gave it to his wife, and she said, what is this? What's this about not telling your wife? You tell me everything. And he said, I said, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. It's, it's going to be okay. So after he told me that, I told him I was going to take that out of the next covenant. <laughs> just erase that for sure. So, so you can kind of see exactly what Jesus did, what we do. H- how do we then, how do we find time uh, with the people that we're working with? How do we do that? Uh, I, let me just tell you this. It, it, it's hard in the American culture. When I had kids in seminary, um, they were available, available to me seven days a week. You know, I'd be going to a men's meeting over in Indiana to preach on a Tuesday evening have dinner, have a service, drive back. I'd, inv- I'd invite six of those guys to go. Five of them would go with me, you know. Um, I do that now. Uh, I've got seven men, um, all massively busy. <coughs> Almost all of them have kids in elementary or high school, wife, job, you know, all kinds of stuff going on, kids, sports teams, and all that. Uh, I-, I sent a note to all seven of the guys last year and said, hey, I'm going for this one-night thing about an hour away. Not one of them <laughs> responded. Not one of them had the time to do it, you know. So when, when we talk about the value of time, people giving your time, it, it's really true. But there are ways that you can do that. I find that men are wide open for breakfasts, you know. Supper, it's really hard. You know, it's a wife and their kids, and, and I, don't, I don't think I should take them away from their supper time. But they're very open to lunches also. But men don't, mind, don't seem to mind getting up early. And, you know, can we meet at 7 o'clock at Bob Evans and, uh, and let's have uh, breakfast together? Uh, that's a very, very good time. Also, letting them know in advance of things you're going to do. <clears throat> we have a great big uh, Christmas dinner with their wives at our house. Um, we have a retreat, Friday night, all-day Saturday retreat, like in March. And uh, we do other things as well. I, I'll call for a special night, but to let, them, let them know in advance. <clears throat> so um, there's an axe-throwing place about 10 miles from, from where we all are. And interestingly enough, this is probably God-ordained, a <clears throat> barbecue place right next to the axe-throwing place. <laughs> so, yeah. And so I, I organized that. We got it all set last year, and it didn't happen. It just fell apart, you know, like two or three days. I mean, guys had legitimate things that come up <laughs> that they couldn't do. But, but trying to let them know in advance, I think, will be, um, will be a big help. These are, ex- these are extras here. Go ahead. Go ahead. That, that's fine. Yeah, no problem. <clears throat> so you all, uh, I have a list of things here that you can look at uh, and just kind of go through these. You know, getting together for prayer. Uh, sharing your interests and concerns. We have one D group in our church that is built around woodworking. Woodworking. There are 11 guys in this group. It's, it's, it's a D group Bible study. It's a hybrid of what they're doing. But they get together and 
do some woodworking and go to woodworking shows and things like that. And it's an organized group with a leader. You know, I mean, you can even things like that, you know, would work. I've heard of quilting groups for ladies as well. <clears throat> you know, could you turn your, turn your D group into a quilting group or some kind of a service group, something along those lines? So you all just, if you'll go ahead and read through these. Well, one of my ultimate goals, though, in terms of association would be to take my six guys on a short-term mission trip. You know, just imagine, you know, 10 days together. Uh, man, that would be so powerful. Uh, it'd just be incredible. So that's out there in the future, and we'll see how that all turns out. Uh, I know that um, one lady that I work with uh, has a group of younger married women, and, uh, and, and they, they love to shop. They really do. And so she'll, put, she'll get four of them together, and they'll drive to, you know, you know the, the walking malls by interstates, you know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what you call those. It's not in... Yes, thank you. Uh, the outlet malls, yeah. Uh, interesting, you would right off the top of your head. You had, <laughs> yeah, and, and they just go up there and do the outlet malls and go have uh, have a late lunch and have a ball. It's that's the thing, you know. It's the life to life where your life is just pouring into them and you're modeling for them. And an interesting thing happened a couple of years ago. I've got like five guys we're all driving and uh, I, I'm going along 35 miles an hour and the light changes and it changed to yellow and I should have just hit the brakes and, and come to you know a, a stop and I thought you know with these guys in the car throw them all forward I'll just hit the accelerator and when I did the light turned red very obviously and I drove right through a red light you know and I thought you know what maybe if I just ignore that and I don't even bring it up nobody will say anything <laughs> yeah. And so I finally said, you guys, I, I, I should have stopped back at that yellow light. I just broke the law and ran through a red light. And uh, so don't, don't, don't follow that. That's not a good pattern for you to have. And of course, then, then I, they got about a month of mileage out of, you know, Leadfoot, Leadfoot Road Cup, they called me. But, but um, anyway, <clears throat> so you know, it, it's that life on life, you all, very, very important. The third segment here, of course, is the idea of instruction. Jesus taught in, in two, on two levels. He taught formally. The disciples listened to him preach. They went to service after service in synagogues with him. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is sitting in a boat out in the Sea of Galilee teaching on the shore. And they were all there. They heard many, many of his sermons and lessons. Many, many, of course. There were also times when he just took them away privately, just the twelve. They're thinking now through a careful analysis of Scripture that uh, Jesus probably spent something like 60-65% of his time just with the 12 and 40% of his time with the crowds. So we can see how much personal time Jesus really poured into them teaching. How about Jesus' informal teaching? Yeah, I mean, just tons and tons of places. The woman at the well may be one of the classic illustrations of informal teaching. You know, Jesus did not say, I want you to begin spending time with... Um, uh, women who are not Jews, who are immoral, and uh, in fact that they're women, you know, immoral, non-Jewish women, uh, spend time with them. That, uh, that would be a good idea, you know. <laughs> yes, back in those days, would have been triply scandalous. So the disciples come back from buying lunch, and here's Jesus sitting at the well, talking to uh, an immoral, non-Jew Jew woman, and what, what, what is this? But it says, you know, but, but no one asked him what he was doing. I think that's an interesting byline there, you know, in John. Um, so just the idea of informal time. Zacchaeus is a great example. He just did this with the disciples over and over again. So how do we teach then? How do we do what Jesus did? Formal teaching, 
You all, the, 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 the cornerstone is having a weekly face-to-face -face meeting with food. Okay? You always have refreshments. Always. Remember, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, fellowship is always taken in the context of a meal. Food. Food is a powerful social event. It draws us together, t uh, uh, touches us emotionally, and so, so always having food. So we, we just have a weekly meeting. Right now, we have 30 women's groups. We've been doing this in a concentrated way for four years. It's just started our fourth year. We have 30 women's groups right now, 56 men's groups. Yeah, it's just amazing. I will tell you that in five years, I just think that God is going to transform our church. I think we're going to go places we've never gone before. You know, um, uh, All of our groups have a weekly meeting. I meet with my guys 7 o'clock on Tuesday morning. We meet for an hour and a half. Uh, we have always a, just a light breakfast together. And then um, uh, just a, a re-entry time. Uh, the seminal question is, okay, everybody answer this question. How, how are you doing, really? Yeah, well, what was your week like? What's going on with you? And that discussion gets better and better the longer you're together. And then we have uh, study our scriptures together. Use, usually use a sharing question then. And then we always save time for a good, good time of prayer at the end. And don't do that exactly that way every week. You want to vary those elements and bring in different things. And just don't get into a rut. That, that's, that's the main thing. So the formal teaching time, that's how we do that. The informal teaching is just this. Brothers and sisters, we pray to be sensitive to teachable opportunities when they come our way. You know, when something comes up, uh, we see we can speak into someone's life. Once people begin to know you and trust you, and they really sense that you genuinely care about them, really, you're not being paid to do this. I mean, it's, you really love them and are concerned about their, their growth. Uh, they, they will take any suggestion that you have. I mean, they're, they're open, you know, to listening to how you want to help improve their lives. So those informal teaching times are just uh, really, really powerful. I put the uh, four items of our uh, meeting here for you. You can see a little more information on those. Just the main thing that would be this. When you're having your meeting, no lectures. No lectures. Has to be a discussion. So we use the Socratic method of using questions, you know, and they read and study their two scriptures, you know, uh, their ch two chapters they're going to report on. So you put that, put that all together. So we teach formally in a formal meeting all together every week, same time, and we teach informally. You know, we, we look for opportunities to speak into the lives of the people that we're working with. However, however, we can do that. <clears throat> I am on a, um, on a uh, trip to speak at a men's meeting. They wanted me to bring a worship leader. And uh, I, so I got one of our kids who's a fantastic worship leader. And he threw his guitar in my trunk, and we drove an hour and did this men's meeting. And on the way back, he was going into the ministry, you know. He said, um, uh, Prof, can I ask you this question? I I'm dating a girl right now. What do you look for in a in a woman who's going to be your wife as, as a minister's wife. Well, what do you look for? <clears throat> and I said, well, let me tell you everything I know about women. I, I can do that, really. I'll tell you everything I know. About three minutes later, I was done. <laughs> and I, I told him everything I knew. And I said to him, well, you know, obviously, I, I would look for somebody with a heart for Jesus. That, that, that's the first thing. You know, look at, some, look at someone's character. Um, uh, do they desire to be in ministry? I mean, uh, you tell them you're going into ministry for the next 60 years, 50 years. Do they, are, are, do they want to be your partner in that for sure? And we just went through kind of a litany of things, which then led to him telling me that they were struggling together 
physically, you know, they, they she was just kind of ready to ask her to marry him, and and they were just struggling in that area, and I, so and that hour turned turned into an amazing, amazing discussion and encouragement to him. And brother, always do the right thing. Listen to me, always do the right thing. And um, and he and I both remember that night, even to this day. You know, it's called informal teaching. No textbook, no no test. And I would pray, Lord, help me to be sensitive for when those times present themselves, to not be afraid to move on that and to speak into that situation. That's, that's informal teaching. So then the next step is demonstration, where Jesus simply demonstrated for them what he wanted them to do. He taught, he healed, he interacted with the Pharisees. You know, they just watched him and he demonstrated what he wanted them to have. And you all, this is so, so powerful in the lives of our group. I will tell you that your group will watch you all the time that they're with you. They'll watch you on Sunday morning. You know, they're all coming into church. You're there with your spouse. They, they will watch you like a hawk, you know. And so just understanding the power of your example in their lives there. Um, and and, and he, he demonstrated for them, how, how do we do that? Well, it's just simply that. You know, we create culture in our group. Uh, we just live our normal Christ-centered lives. And, uh, and we just demonstrate for them. Uh, in my case, I had a lot of guys going into ministry. So uh, I had them in class, you know, priceless. Had them in class three hours a week. Uh, take them with me on weekends, uh, just various times, just to demonstrate the things that were important. Moving on then, we come to delegation. This is where Jesus does this. The disciples are ready. So he calls them together and he says, guys, break up into groups of two. And you're going to go out to the villages around here, preach the gospel of, uh, of the kingdom, heal, cast out demons. Don't take any money. Don't take an extra pair of sandals, a walking stick. Uh, just go out there. And, uh, and this is not in the text, y'all. I'm adding this. Jesus said, two weeks from now, meet me back here under this tree at noon, and we're going to debrief. You have two weeks. So get back here two weeks from today. So two weeks later, they all show up under the tree. Jesus says, how did it go? Somebody give us a report. And they said to him, yeah, they said to him, how did it go? It was phenomenal. We preached, we taught, we cast out demons. Unbelievable. You know, and Jesus says, you know what? There were tons and tons of prophets and judges, great men of God, who would have given anything to have seen what, what you've just done. You, you have no idea how blessed you are. Okay, M month, two months later, he goes from, from 12 to 70. It's 70 people, his disciples, and, you know, and, and, and to make a group of 70, he says, okay, everybody, attention, everybody break up into groups of two, okay, right now, get a partner, that's who you're going to be with for the next two weeks, and go out into the villages and towns around here and preach the gospel and teach and heal and cast out demons and so forth. Meet me back here in two weeks, we're going to debrief, you know. So they all come back, he says, how did it go? And they said, how did it go? It was unbelievable what we did, what we saw, how we were used, just incredible. Now, the Bible does not say that Jesus laughed ever. It says he cried a couple of times, you know, but there's one place in all of Scripture where Jesus registers a positive response uh, to something that went on in his life. And in Luke, it says here, and Jesus, when Jesus heard the report, it says he, he rejoiced greatly in his spirit and broke out in prayer and said, God, I thank you that you have have blinded the eyes of so many, you know, who didn't need to see this and have, have, are unfolding this now and developing your kingdom. The one time Jesus rejoices, and it, 
next instance of him rejoicing is when the disciples came back and they got it. Yeah, they understood that they were doing what he was demonstrating. You know, just just, just incredible there. Uh, that's demonstration. And then delegating. How, how do we delegate? Well, let me just ask this. If you work in the nursery, if you um, on, are on the praise band, if you teach Sunday school, lead a life group, uh, work with a men's group, whatever, you have a women's group, you have a great opportunity. To t- take, the, take the people you're working with and just fold them into what you're normally already doing, you know. Uh, like you're leading a uh, junior girls, um, a middle school girls youth group, <clears throat> why don't you have a couple of women just come and help you out either every now and then or join you? You see, rather than creating a whole bunch of things, new experiences, let's just do this. In your normal day-to-day routine, involve people. If you're going to the hospital to do hospital visits, take a couple of your people with you. You know, uh, If you're going to deliver... Um, uh, deliver some type of material to uh, some mission somewhere. It's a couple of hours away. Invite a couple of your, you're going to go anyway. Just invite them. I was in Colorado staying in the home of a, an elder and his wife. And on Saturday morning, she said, now, I know you don't have to leave here until 10 for your meeting, but I have, I have like uh, seven girls who come over here at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. We have breakfast and a D-group meeting. And then she said, what I do, it's so interesting. I have to go to the dry cleaner, to the store, and go to Home Depot. And I just take all seven of them with me. We have our meeting. Then they go with, I show them how to use coupons and things like that. And, uh, you know, just let, fold them into your normal routine. Works, works incredibly well. That's delegation as, mu- as much as you can. And I have some things on here. Bill, Hall, Bill, Bill Hall has an excellent statement here about how this works. You, you can take a look at that. Supervision. So this is just coaching. Jesus is just coaching them. Can't you hear Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, that was an excellent message you gave this morning. Uh, now, your, your introduction was a little weak, though. There's something called a hook. That you've got to have, you know, and so and let's strengthen that. I mean, Jesus is just coaching. He's teaching. He's training. And so we do the same thing with our guys, you know, and they'll come to you or our women. They'll come to you and they will talk about that. And uh, so just helping them in every way possible, for providing a base of support. And then, of course, is reproduction, reproduction. You know, we want them to do what we're, we're doing. And uh, and again, I think this is so such a hard thing to make happen um, we have discovered something uh, that, that, that is working. Um, two years ago, one guy out of a group of, of six or seven actually started a group on his own. With the group I just had this last year, we had seven men. One of them, his, her, his, his mother is dying, and he's, his, he's her primary caretaker. The other six guys you know, who I had in my group, all six are leading D groups this fall, all six of them. Yeah, and, and, and we just made one, one tweak. We just did one thing, you know, and, and all six of them were leading groups. So I'll be glad to tell you what that is a little, a little later on here. Yeah, fill you in. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, let, let me tell you what we did. We, we, uh, we established co-leaders instead of just one. I would say to a, um, a guy, I want you to lead a D group, a layman, and they would always say the same thing. Oh, I, I can't do that, you know. And, and they, this guy's a top, top salesman in his company. He sells all week long, and he can't lead the D group? Like, you're kidding me. So it dawned on me that Jesus sent people out by two, so I started approaching them from my very first meeting saying, we want you to lead a group, but we want you to co-lead. We want two of you to find four men 
group of six, and, and you, and man, it is working like a charm. You know, uh, the thing that I'm most excited about is the incredible enthusiasm the crop of leaders this year are showing about their groups and having their groups kick off. Uh, just a personal thing, Tuesday morning I went to the church building, 6.30, get ready, make some coffee and so forth. And I was just blown away, you know, four of our, of our six D groups meet on Tuesday morning. And I just stood back and watched all these guys parking and coming in the building and asking where their room was. And uh, then the leaders were there with boxes of donuts. And uh, I just thought, oh, man, this is it doesn't get much better than this. This mm -hmm. is it, you know. And I'll go ahead and give you more information on that. But, but you've got the secret sauce, <laughs> you know, that, 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 and, and some other things. I found this years ago, Larry Richards model. Larry Richards, years and years ago, great education guy, wrote a book called The Theology of Christian Education. And it's one of those principles books. It's full of principles. If you can find a copy of that, <clears throat> I, I cut my teeth on, on training people on this book. And in the book, he says, we now know the environment and, the, the, uh, and what happens in, in a group of people to really affect them deeply and see their lives change. And there are seven things we, we found out that contribute to that. And here are the seven things. I just went ahead and put them in here. And it's right on the money. It's really discipling uh, uh, with different words is what it comes down to. But you can go through those and, and see that. So you all, do you have any, any questions? Our time is over. Do you have any questions at all about um, uh, the things we've talked about? And I hope that what I wanted to do was just give you a, uh, just really whet your appetite for the possibility. And uh, if you can find, ladies, if you can find a co-leader, you know, who would step into this with you. Uh, one of the things that I just think about is when we get to heaven, you know, Paul says, my main ministry goal is this. And when I get to heaven, I will be able to present to Jesus Christ every man and woman for whom I've been spiritually responsible, mature in Jesus Christ. Colossians, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. And I'd love to see you on Judgment Day, every man, every woman here, stand before the Lord with, with a host of people standing behind you and be able to present these people to Jesus Christ, mature in their faith. And so how do we make that happen? I, I've tried everything, you all. I've tried everything. This is the one approach that is a slam dunk you know, when it's bathed in prayer and done carefully, study, study the, the steps and just figure out ways to do it. It's the one thing that really produces uh, a, a personal spiritual transformation of life, you know. So if I can break some things open in your thinking and uh, give you a little bit of a taste of things, uh, I, hope, I hope our session was good. Let me close with a word of prayer, okay? Father in heaven, I thank you for each of these people here who got up early to be here today. Would you continue to help us to grow? and our understanding of how Jesus' method of discipling people can be done today, especially under the guidance and power, influence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for our time. Bless us through the rest of this exciting day today we're looking forward to, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you all. God bless you. Well, thanks so much for listening, y'all. I hope that you enjoyed hearing another track session from David Rocup. We've got two more episodes featuring TCM International, so they're going to be great as well. While we're wrapping up this episode, if you've got some free time, head over to tcmi.org. You can find out more about TCM International. All right, y'all, I'm looking forward to seeing you on the next episode. Have a great rest of your day. Bye.